this is Jack's Corner, where I discuss issues on society and culture here in America. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to my corner, Jack's Corner. I'm here again with the Duchess, Veronica Wallace. Hi. Welcome Hi, back. Thank you, Jax. I, I love being in your studio. It's a nice getaway. It's our studio, really. It's but nice. It's, it's nice when we come out here. Second floor, we have our own patios that wrap around and... It's just nice because we don't come to this part of the house. We're usually for, downstairs yeah, all the this time. This is just the studio so for recording. This is our podcast studio. But yes. here we are. Um, how are you? Um, I'm. You doing, have a lot going on? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. You know, I stopped drinking alcohol today. So um, I had my last vodka shot a few Good hours ago. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so um, what are we doing today? Today we're gonna talk a little bit about. Uh, I just I just want you to go over maybe another one of your sister me stories because they are okay great. They're so captivating and they expose a lot and they definitely share where you've been and what you've experienced and I want to share that with our audience. Well, thank you. Yes, I'd be more than pleased to share something. All right, for today's reading of Sister Me. It's on page 331. Months ago, there were no visits. That part of my life is the hardest to discuss at length. November 5th, 1988. We're having Saturday morning visits here. Visitors must check in at least 15 minutes in advance by 8.45 a.m. We visit in metal booths separated by glass partitions. We can only talk through telephones. This is, after all, Ad seg. First visit slot is from 9 o'clock to 9.30 a.m. The visitors must then leave. If they want to return, they have to recheck in and wait half an hour in the lobby until they're processed. Then we get another 30 minutes. The short broken telephone contact makes real communication difficult. It takes a while to get past the usual trivial news and the barrier we both feel, not only in its physical sense, but in the separation we undergo all the rest of the time because of the people that we love being separated from us in the community. Just when we are finally able to open up our emotions a little, the visit is terminated. Phone calls are equally frustrating. The three phones in the pod are all fixed only two feet apart on the wall in the area with the toilet on one side and a TV on the other. With wall-to-wall bodies, it is impossible to have a real, to have any real confidentiality. And often, it's very hard to even hear the other party on the line. The day room makes so much noise. This makes for friction with other women in the cell and a sense of failed contact over the phone. Put in a situation of maximum stress, we experience minimum ability to get emotional support. It creates a volatile disposition in the prisoners, crying bouts and yelling at the free world visitors or phone caller that they're talking to are all too common, venting that emotion, the frustration of prison living. Over emotionality and frustration aren't what we meant to give and they aren't even a measure of how we feel about that person that's visiting. It's just that when we have no decent outlet for our our real feelings, we give way to our feelings about that failure. 
a word to the free world. Don't take the moods of your prisoner, friend, family member, lover, personally. It's the situation and the prison environment. It makes everyone mad, not just, not just you. November 8th, 1988. Linda had a temporary release today. ATR to go to her dentist for a partial imprint. I forgot what the ATR was, a temporary release, that's it, ATR, to go to her dentist for a partial imprint. She ran into Sherry and Bobby. Sherry invited her to come along for a free fix of heroin. A speedball, also, half cocaine, half heroin, injected. Linda went along reluctantly, not really intending to fix with her since the time element wasn't good. She would have to be back to the prison at 3 o'clock, and it was already 2 o'clock. Sherry had her drive to a seedy area of town. Now, remember, this is only applying to women that are minimum custody, and they live in minimum custody, and uh, toward as they're uh, trying to rebuild uh, communications with the community prior to their release, they give them these temporary releases, and that enables the prisoner to go out, find a job if that's necessary, but go home and have some private time, which, you know, is like a miracle. It's, but we don't get that until the very, very end of our prison stay. All right, so Sherry had, had to be back at 3 o'clock, and it was already 2. Sherry had her drive to a seedy area of town, where they stopped at an abandoned house. They entered through the backyard. Linda described the places filthy. Dirt, rags, and garbage lay everywhere. The electricity had long ago been turned off, but the, quote, rock star who ran this rock house managed to boost electricity from the church next door and kept a hot plate going with a pot of boiling water by the back door. Once inside, they were at the final destination. Sherry broke out a rig, which is a, um, it's a term for... Um, a syringe. Yes. And began making the hits. Linda quickly cut that short, explaining that she really had to go. She left, telling, telling Sherry that this scene was not cool and that there was no need to put oneself in places like this. Back in her car and riding down a boulevard, probably K Street, she found Bobby, who was talking about copying some tar heroin. Before Linda could dissuade her, she was in the car running game. Now anyone who's pulled a bit of time wants a respite, at least a beer. Linda was no different. But Bobby was not the one to deal with the dealers in the immediate area. To Linda's chagrin, Bobby chased away all the advances made by the dealers. Meanwhile, the clock was still running on the last of this hour out. Eventually, they arrived at an alleyway where Bobby unexpectedly leaped from the car and vanished. Linda says in Bobby's defense that she was more delusional than ever. Linda made it back by three o'clock and the day's adventure was over. We all watched the late news. Sharon was sentenced today. The news coverage was predictably depressing. Sharon drew 16 years for the alleged second-degree murder of her daughter. 
In truth, it was an accidental death. There wasn't a shred of evidence that Sharon intended to kill her child, so the prosecution charged her with a felony murder so they could get a conviction without having to bother to prove intent. Linda fled the day room after the news. I quickly followed her, and Baby followed me. Linda fell to her bed, devastated, and broke into deep, soul-wrenching sobbing. I entered her cell, sat beside her, held her, and wept with her. Baby entered and embraced us both, weeping for us all. Linda's cries of pain came from so deep in her that they affected levels in me that I keep otherwise inaccessible. She was beside herself with grief for our sister Sharon. We spoke of her belief in God. We joined in prayer and wept, held one another, and prayed again. Later, we all wrote letters of support to her. Guard Benton refused to deliver the letters we had written, so we mailed them out through the mail system. 11-8-1988, I was sitting watching The Godfather, Part 3, on the dayroom TV with Linda, Darlene, and Baby when Guard Benton entered. Here's what happened. Two program and classifications from 3NB Tank. On 11-8-1988, p.m., CEO Benton entered Tank 3NB. She stood at the tank's entrance, silent, just staring at prisoner Veronica Compton. Compton noted her staring, where another prisoner said, It's not... In full uniform, Compton then asked Beaton, do I need to put something else on? Beaton then shouted, I've told women in this tank for three months. They have to be in their uniforms. Get yours on or you'll be locked down for 24 hours. Compton had dressed in a white undershirt and a white sheet was tied at her waist, which covered her to her ankles. Only her arms and neck were visible. Compton said as she rose to get dressed in her uniform, I didn't know or hear that there was a rule about that. Beaton said, Don't give me that shit, Compton. You've been here long enough, and if you keep it up, you're getting locked down. Compton now, nearly at her cell door, stated, It's not necessary to berate me. I have never been told that rule, and it's because of the inconsistency, inconsistencies here in this prison that I wrote about the lack of policies. On some nights, we're told to wear this. At some point, Beatrice crossed to the stairs, yelling and pointing, nearly hysterically screaming as she pointed her index finger menacingly at me, Compton. Get in your cell, she said. You're on lock for 24 hours, and if you say one more word, I'll make it 48. Compton stated, there's no need to point and scream. You can address me with courtesy. I am a human being and an adult. Just because I'm a criminal doesn't mean that you should treat me so disrespectfully. Compton proceeded calmly to her room while Beaton was clearly out of control. Beaton screamed again. That'll be 48 hours for insolence, Compton. I said, I only ask to be treated humanely. I treat you with respect. Compton calmly locked in. C.O. Beaton began using profanity at this point, stating, I'm tired of this fucking shit, and then left the tank. Please note that 
At no time did I appear hostile or use profanity. I complied with C.O. Benton's orders to dress and redress and then locked in after Beaton told us to. Later, C.O. Benton re-entered the tank with C.O. Skelton. They entered my cell. C.O. Benton said to me, essentially, to disrobe and give her Compton's undershirt for another one she brought. Compton asked for some privacy to undress. Benton refused, and Compton undressed before the guards, with her cell door wide open in view of the other prisoners as well. C.O. Benton went on to blame me for causing the other prisoners to be upset. We wish to state that it was in fact directly C.O. Benton's gross misconduct and unprofessionalism that was upsetting to our cell block. C.O. Benton's use of profanity and her lack of reasonableness or willingness to treat me with common decency were all asking to overturn her infraction on me, the 48 sanction, and to reprimand C.O. Benton. Mary May Benton's record also reflect her poor work performance while on duty. Counseling for Beaton should be considered, and urine testing for potential drug and alcohol use is recommended. I wrote this to the superintendent. Thank you. 3NB Tank. Editor's note. The above petition was simply signed by 10 prisoners, though considering the content, they must have known they were assuming a considerable personal risk of reprisal. November 9, 1988. I was called out to be at court on the chain today. It's a long chain about 15 feet with single sets of handcuffs every two feet or so. Prisoners are put on this chain. We travel from tank area to tank area picking up court shows. I always take the back of the chain so no one is behind me and I only have to follow and keep up with the person in front. Some men have the tendency of trying for a feel on a woman. Once the chain is set up, I make a clear announcement that any man who tries to get out of line with me, I'll knock him upside the head. That's real. I don't play that shit. Anyway, aside from the attempted come-ons and tries at flirting, the man, the men behaved. It's seldom I run into the chain gang molesters. I explained to the guards I was not on the court calendar today, that we've changed the appearance date, but the courts being in their usual form of incompetency are so inundated with paperwork that they haven't, hadn't, they hadn't noted the change. So I had a free trip downstairs. I prepared myself with three hand-rolled cigarettes, matches and a striker, all illegal, all requiring smuggling. But what the hell, why not smoke? It's only a holding area, identical to the one where we go to smoke. So down the panties they went. I passed fine through the body pat-down. No detection of matches in my panties or cigarettes. Once in the holding area, about five feet from the glass half-box of the guard enclosure, I lit up and shared a smoke with three other women. One rock star, or excuse me, Coke Queen, this one has never sipped over her, has never signed over her welfare check to the rock man. 
She's staying on top of the game, she says. She said that she had some, on K Street, partners in the tank beside us, wanting to show out. She flashed the remaining cigarette and match to the men who immediately wanted them. Well, no biggie, I wrapped a match and striker in a scrap of the woman's court paper and slid it out under the door. Now, I should mention that prior to lighting up a cigarette, I cued the women in on the idea that if we got caught smoking, we found the smokes in the holding tank, and to best avoid being caught, three would block the guard's visibility while we smoked. Okay, we had it down. Now, the men were to have their chances, as it turned out. They had only one cigarette, and prior to retrieving the one I slid into the breezeway, they had found one in their tank. Once the cigarette was lit, they had an immediate problem. Who would get a drag in, and in what sequence? Well, without any organization, the 20 men neglected to pin to watch out for the guards and began calling out for drags. I saw the guard notice the rising voice level and tried to signal to the men across the breezeway through the glass partitions, but they were too enwrapped in copying their hit. I should mention that this um, access to being with male prisoners happened during probably after my escape. I was processed, had to go to court a few times and get resentenced and... Um, that's when you're exposed to male prisoners. That's when you're exposed to male prisoners. But because other than that, you're very segregated. Totally segregated. It's a woman's prison we live in, and they transport right. you on a chain to another cell, uh, like a jail cell, and you're waiting there until and your name is called. it's not all women on the chain or all men on the chain. No, it's... it is for women. All okay. the women are chained up separately than the men. We ride separate buses, and... Um, so we are segregated, and then they are led to separate rooms. So um, there's glass windows, really thick glass, in both windows, their day room and ours, so women can see the male prisoners. Okay. All right. Um, so three women would block the guard's visibility while one smoked. Okay, the women had it down. Now the men were to have their chance, as it turned out. They had only one cigarette, and prior to retrieving the one I slid into the breezeway for them, they had found one in their tank. Once the cigarette was lit, they had an immediate problem. Who would get a dragon in what sequence? Well, without any organization, the 20 men neglected to pin for each other. That means watch out for the guards, and began calling out for drags. I saw the guard notice the rising voice level in the men's day room and tried to signal them, but they were too enwrapped copying their hit. The guard busted them cold. It wasn't difficult since, like us, they were in full view. We entered the men, he entered the men's tank, took the cigarette, shredded it before our eyes, leaving the tobacco to fall as it would on the tank floor. Then he left satisfied that he had met the call of duty. Later, the two men had re-entered their tank, kicking the match I had dropped from the hall into their tank. They did it so clumsily, they were again caught. I had spoken to one of the male prisoners while we were on the chain together. I had talked about the law and various joints 
as they're moving us into the different day rooms or the holding cells we'd been in. Now we exchanged smiles, laughter, and camaraderie through our glances. He shook his head at the obvious lack of talent his cellmates had for his for our covert operations. We were convicts. The other men were street pedestrians. Okay, I'll take this up um, on our next reading, if you'd like. Sure. Okay, so I have it marked. Today is Sunday, by the way, February 7th, 2021. We want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. Yes. And we're coming along with Sister Me stories. I hope you guys are enjoying these stories. And before we end the podcast, Veronica, I do want to mention that we have a YouTube channel. And yes. that's more personal because that's the Duchess and I. We share a little bit about everything that we go through at home in regards to repairs, art, um, just about everything I think you'll find on our channels. Uh, so subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yes, do. By all means, we have a lot of kick-ass videos and we have a lot more in process. Yes. And then you'll also be able to stay up to date with uh, Eden Page, Juliet Wallace, Veronica's daughter, who uh, was also born in prison. You'll be able to find out what's going on with her and what her progress is with her film, She the Creator. Yes. Well, thank you so much um, having me again, Jax. I enjoy visiting you in your studio. It's a nice break. Well, thank you. I You're guess welcome. I guess uh, we'll wrap this up for now, and we'll see everybody on the following Sunday. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you for having us, and peace, and stay safe. Talk to you then. Thank you.